Well, good morning, High Point. A couple quick announcements before we get started here today. Um, if you uh, have given to uh, this church, your year in giving statements, if we have your email, was emailed out to you uh, this week and even the week before. For those who we have your email address, if you don't have email, uh, we are going to have a table in the foyer the next two Sundays where you can pick up your giving uh, records for 2020 and you can pick it up there. Just wanted to give you a heads up on that. If you need to communicate on that in any way, shape or form, please call the church office and uh, we will see that, that you get one. Um, and uh, one other thing, I, I wa just want to let you know, I'm not going to be able to greet you after the service uh, this, this week uh, when we're done. I have to leave and head out to Arizona. My mother is very ill. I don't know if she's going to make it. And I'd appreciate your prayers for traveling mercies, a long drive over there. And uh, I need to go see her and get there as soon as I can. So it's not that I don't want to greet you. I enjoy it. That's one of my favorite parts of my job. But I need to get on the road. So please uh, extend some grace to your pastor today. I'd greatly appreciate it and send some prayers uh, heavenward on behalf of my mom and my family. I'd greatly appreciate it. Well, today we're going to continue in our New Year's sermon series that we have titled A New Thing, and it's based on our scripture theme for 2021, which is from Isaiah uh, 43, verses 18 through 19, where God emphasizes uh, three different things. First of all, he says, forget the former things. Secondly, he says, do not dwell on the past. And then he tells us, see, I am doing a new thing. This past year, I think for most of us, we'd have to agree, is probably one of the most challenging years we've experienced. And I think every one of us is looking forward to, to a, a new year. And therefore, the message of this scripture, I think, to customize it down to us today in America is this. It's quite clear. Forget last year. Forget about it. Look forward to this new thing that God is going to do in and through you in 2021. Over the past two weeks, we've talked about how in order for God to do this new thing within us, we've got to be a willing participant in the process. What I mean is that many of us have never positioned ourselves to, to allow this new thing to happen within our lives. We failed to fully support in God's plan, and we haven't committed ourselves to the spiritual standard of excellence that he has established. Many of us have become satisfied with the status quo. While there are even some of us who are fearful of what drawing closer to God might look like, what it might require, because I think we all understand God's standard is a high standard, and, and many of us fear that that standard can't be met. But it's like I've been saying all along in this series, when you begin to be washed and transformed by God's word and when you invite the Holy Spirit to guide and empower your daily life, you can indeed live a life meeting God's standard of excellence. This is your part of the process. Your part is to fully engage in your relationship with Christ and to utilize the many tools that he offers to grow us up and to strengthen us with. Because it is within that kind of activity, when that is your mindset, that you will start to experience that new thing that God wants to accomplish in you. So every one of us must be willing to reestablish God's spiritual standards of excellence in all areas of our life. And that's exactly what God sent the, the prophet Malachi to do. In week one of this series, Malachi spelled out the importance of raising the standard of excellence in our spiritual commitments. 
He said, don't bring blemished lambs to the temple for sacrifice. Instead, bring your best. That was God's standard of excellence. And through this, we learned that we are to bring God our best and not give him our leftovers. That's what we tend to do in America. We live at such a fast pace, such a relentless schedule that God ends up getting what's left over at the end of the day. Last week, Malachi talked about raising the standard of relational excellence and how we are to make good on our commitments and our promises. The Bible has another word for a promise. It's called a covenant. And so, therefore, we learn that we serve not just a promise-making or a covenant-making God, but we serve a promise-keeping and a covenant-keeping God as well. And this morning, Malachi is going to talk about raising the financial standard of excellence. Specifically, we are going to talk about financial stewardship, about money, about giving to God's work through the tithe and the offering, as well as to how this all relates to God's financial standards. And right about now, some of you already checked out on me, and that's okay, because that is a knee-jerk reaction to something that is very important to all of us, money. There isn't a subject that is more polarizing to be talked about within a church than when you talk about money and finances and giving. There just isn't. Because you can't really exist in this world with this world's economy without money. Currency drives everything. And certainly I don't know any one of you who wouldn't say I could certainly use more of it. So this concept of us freely giving some of our money away is literally counterintuitive to our human nature. In fact, to some people, the thought of it is actually inconceivable. And yet, it's a major theme that is found throughout the Bible. Giving is the hallmark of those who have dedicated their lives to Jesus Christ. So if somehow you cannot relate to this idea of developing godly stewardship in your life, and when I'm talking about stewardship, I mean managing your personal finances in such a way that allows you to both live and give at the same time, well, I fear that you are missing out on a key element in your Christian journey. And sadly, it is one of the last things that gets developed in the life of most Christians. And for most people, it becomes a process that involves prayer, it involves trust, but ultimately, it involves obedience and actually doing it. So let's take a moment to look at what stewardship means. Stewardship comes from the root word, of course, steward. To be a steward is to be a manager. So the very best perspective that I can give you regarding your personal financial resources is to understand that you are simply a steward or a manager over it. None of what you have, none of what you've accumulated or acquired in this life belongs to you. The Bible makes it very clear that everything belongs to the Lord. And you and I are simply a steward over it during the years that we live on this earth. And this is proven virtually every day whenever someone dies. Everything that they own, everything that they have accumulated in this life remains. They don't take any of it with them. They can't take any of it with them. It's like the lyrics of the song says, you don't see no hearses with luggage racks. And all of this only goes to prove that you are a steward. You are not even an owner. 
And if you find what I'm teaching today doesn't appeal to you or your sense of fiscal reality, I want to just beg you, please don't get sideways with your pastor. Instead, hear me out. Open your heart. Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you what I'm talking about, and then you take it to the Lord. This is between you and God. This is not between you and me. It's between you and God. Because following biblical standards of giving and stewardship is a complete trust issue. It's, a, it's an obedience issue, and ultimately, it is a heart issue between you and our Heavenly Father. Now, before we get into the book of Malachi, allow me to first explain the three different forms of giving that are found within the Word of God. The first is the tithe. What does the tithe mean? It means a tenth. The Jewish people practice tithing. A tenth of their income or their increase was given to God. It was referred to in those days as their first fruits. Now understand, in biblical days, there was currency, but it was mostly coins, but it was nothing like what it is today. People who were farmers or who were tradesmen would often barter or they would trade services for food and other necessities. Oftentimes, money would not even be exchanged, but people would trade things of equal value. In the same manner, giving in that day wasn't always giving on a tenth of their increase in cash. Because in those days, often their increase occurred in their harvested crops, in their livestock, and in their land. So like today, when our wages are our increase, any increase in those differing areas back then was their increase, and they gave a tenth of those, of those increases to the Lord. As an example, if God blessed you with a great harvest of wheat, then out of gratitude and thankfulness to God, you gave a tenth of that harvest, meaning you presented the wheat at the temple. Some of it would go to feed the priest, the rest of it would go to feed the poor. If God blessed you back then with 10 new lambs, then out of gratitude and thankfulness to God, you gave one of those 10 by presenting it to the temple. Tithing is how God throughout the centuries has financed the work of his kingdom here on earth. And please understand that the tithe is the lifeblood of any church. It's what keeps any church operating. And of course, the tithe comes from God's people. That's you and I those who are being obedient to God and who have grasped this truth that giving is truly our responsibility. The second type of giving is offerings, what you would call free will offerings. Offerings are what you give above the tithe. People would also bring offerings to the temple, again, to express gratitude to God. Many people who have not yet established the spiritual discipline of tithing will often give offerings, and that is a good thing because it's another way in which you support the work of your church. And what I have found is when people start giving offerings, uh, you start to see generosity being developed within you, and it isn't too long before the tithe follows. Some also will give financially to other missionaries and other ministry works around the world. These are also considered offerings. The third kind of giving that's mentioned in God's word is what they called alms. This is money or gifts that are given above and beyond the tithe and the offering to help those in need. If you know of a person or a situation where there is a great need and you give towards that need, then you are giving what is called alms. So these are the ways in which we give. And this should be helpful when we read what Malachi has to say in just a few minutes. 
In fact, in preparation, go ahead and turn to Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book in the Old Testament, the book right before Matthew. And while you're doing that, I want to provide you with a little bit of a background so that you'll better understand these words that Malachi is going to speak on God's behalf. Hundreds of years before Malachi's arrival, God had clearly spelled out to his people how they ought to manage their financial resources with excellence. He said, here's the guidelines. Earn money ethically. No schemes, no corruption, no backdoor deals. You can earn as much money as you'd like, but earn it in an ethical way. Spend your money wisely. Don't spend it foolishly. He told them to avoid destructive debt. He told them to save money consistently for their future and to give generously to the poor. And then God said, as a part of my overall financial or money management plan, I'm establishing the practice of tithing. Again, the word simply means a tenth or 10%. The idea behind this practice is that God's people would take 10% of whatever increase they had received and they'd bring it to their place of worship. It was given out of thankfulness to God for his provision in their life, as well as for the practical purpose of supporting the ministry in their house of worship. And so for a long time, the people of God carried out his guidelines and they carried them out with excellence. And because they carried out these principles in an excellent way, everybody won during that era. God won because, uh, or excuse me, God's people won because they stayed out of financial difficulties. They didn't go into debt. They saved their money like he encouraged them to do. And the poor were taken care of. And the result of godly stewardship was God's blessings upon their financial lives because they honored God with their first fruits. They honored God with the tithe. Secondly, God won because he was honored and given appropriate thanks for his gracious provision in their lives. And thirdly, the church won, or in those days, the temple won because they were adequately resourced to carry out God's mission here on this earth. So everybody won. But by the time Malachi arrives, this standard of financial excellence had fallen, and it had fallen hard. In spite of being taught since their youth about how to honor God with their resources, one by one, men and women began to make unwise, God-dishonoring financial decisions. They just started kind of making up their own rules. And the people in Malachi's day creatively came up with ways to make up for their poor financial decisions. How? By reducing the tithe and the offerings that were supposed to be going to the house of God. And in some cases, they weren't giving at all. Maybe someone in Malachi's day would go to the local market to pick up a few items for the kids, and they got a little carried away. And they overspent, and, and they started thinking on their way home, how am I going to make up for this deficit or difference in my budget? Well, I've got an idea. I'll just take the tithe that I was supposed to give to God, and I will use that to balance my budget. Problem solved. Or maybe someone started building a new house, and they kept adding upgrades that they really couldn't afford. So to take care of the unaffordability, they'd take the tithe money that they were supposed to be giving to the Lord, and instead, they use that money to finish their home. I mean, God will understand, right? He's not legalistic. Or maybe someone had a windfall profit come their way. They'd sell a piece of land that had greatly appreciated, or they had a bumper crop, and they made a boatload of money 
But then when they'd sit down to try to figure out how much the tithe was going to be on that windfall, they decide, no way am I going to write a check that large and put it in the offering plate next week. And if God has a problem with that, well, have his people call my people. In Malachi's day, the financial standards of excellence had plummeted and almost everyone had their own reason for not giving the tithe. And not only that, but they got quite brazen about it. I mean, they're thinking, well, what, what's God going to do about it anyway? Well, as we've learned over the last couple of weeks, Malachi is a pretty straightforward, in-your-face kind of a prophet. So sugarcoating the truth was not in his wheelhouse. As we have read over the last two weeks, he was blunt, and he was to the point. And I want you to listen to his response to all this. But while you're reading this and we're, we're, we're absorbing this, I want you to remember that these are God's words spoken through the prophet. That's what prophets did. They spoke on behalf of the Lord. So we're going to read Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. I'll be reading from the NIV version. It'll be up on the screen behind me. If you don't have your Bible, you can follow along. He says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then he goes on to say something very interesting. He says, test me on this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. Let's just say that old Malachi approaches this topic about as seriously as you'll ever hear it addressed in the entire Bible. He doesn't just scold the Israelites for their lack of giving, but he tells them by not giving, they are no different than a thief who has been robbing God. And I want you to notice something here or, or be reminded of something here. Malachi receives absolutely no benefit whatsoever from the tithes and the offerings that are brought into the temple. He has no agenda here other than to fulfill the mission that God sent him on, and that was to speak God's words to them. There are no financial perks that are coming his way by the giving of the people. Malachi, again, is simply a prophet of the Lord, and he is a man who speaks on behalf of God. And based upon his words, though, it becomes very obvious to us how serious God takes our giving practices. God says through Malachi, because you don't give, you are under a curse because you are robbing me. And I would like to verbalize an observation that, that, that I have, have made with you this morning. I know a lot of people who seem to live a financially cursed life. They always seem to be right on the edge of financial devastation, never able to piece things together and seemingly staying in the same place forever. Well, Malachi, he offers an explanation for this. He says they're under a curse. And the typical response to this response of Malachi sounds kind of like this. Well, because I've had conversations with people. Well, pastor, if I'm having such a hard time financially right now without giving, imagine how difficult it would be if I did give. But you know, when people say that, what they've done, they've completely removed 
the supernatural element from this whole equation. Because one thing that you've got to understand is this whole stewardship plan that God lays out for his people is only accomplished through the supernatural. And and it's found in verses 10, 10 through 12, where God says again, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines on your fields will not cast their fruit. The fruit will not fall off of the vine until you harvest them, says the Lord Almighty. Then all nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land. Let me translate that for you. Then all people will call your family blessed and yours will be a delightful home. Malachi says the reason that you're dealing with what you're dealing with is because you're robbing God. And then he follows it with a very profound statement. And it's not just a statement, but it's the only scripture I can find in the Bible where God says, lest you doubt my solution to this problem, you just go ahead and test me on this. Because I will prove to you that my plan works. I will prove to you that through my supernatural blessings in your life, you can indeed give and you can live at the same time. Now let's fast forward to the 21st century because Malachi's words are as true then as today as they were then. The people of God are doing the very same thing that Israel was doing in Malachi's day. Because the modern day church in America is operating at a level that is severely lacking with regard to excellence in our giving. There is a survey that is done about every two years called the State of Church Giving in America and the findings to this report are always very eye-opening. It reports that depending upon the church or even the differing denominations, only five to a maximum of 20% of Christians in the USA tithe. Only 20% of born-again believers in Christ tithe. It was revealed that the average church member gives 2.5% of their income to their church. But what I found interesting about that statement was that that 2.5% that people are giving now to their church is actually lower than what Christians were giving, get this, during the Great Depression. During the Great Depression, Christians were giving 3.3% on average to their church. And here's a staggering bit of information that is actually quite amazing. If Christians were to increase their giving to the 10% level of just the tithe, there would be an additional $165 billion of resources for ministry purposes in the United States of America. When you wrap your mind around that, you realize the global impact that the church could have could be phenomenal. Here's just a a few things um, in this report that the church, not the government, but the church could accomplish with these kinds of resources. 25 billion of that could relieve global hunger and related deaths from preventable diseases within a five-year span. 12 billion could eliminate illiteracy within a five-year span. 15 billion could solve the world's water and sanitation issues, specifically in countries where 1 billion people live on less than $1 per day of an income. 1 billion could fully fund all overseas mission works, while the 100 to 110 billion that was left over could be used for ministry expansion. 
You can see that the implications of our giving as Christians is enormous. And as you can see by these, these things that I just presented to you, the church could eliminate many of the social ills within our world today. We look for government to do that. I think if we've learned anything, government doesn't solve any problems. They just create more problems. The church is the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer to all the problems of our world today. But we are the vehicle that brings Jesus to the world. Think of, of, of how our, our message of the cross could be received by people who were lost when we were taking care of their needs, the real needs in the world. Wouldn't it be awesome to go into a community, into a foreign country, and have solved their water drinking problems and their sanitation problems, and then say, let me tell you about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It would open the door for even greater outreach. And you know, there's a common question that I heard asked, that I hear asked by people all the time. Pastor David, why does God need my money anyway? And let me just say to you this morning, God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And because money is so vitally important to all of us, when you come to the point of giving some of it away, God knows that a real change has occurred within you. And you are now open to truly trusting him for literally every part of your life. And when you begin to trust God with your financial life, he knows that you have graduated to a much, much higher level of faith. And you are now opening yourself up for those supernatural blessings that he talks about in his word. Another commonly asked question is, why does the church need money? And honestly, I don't understand that question because I think anybody living today understands that there is a huge cost involved in operating anything. Just look at your own household. You see this beautiful building that we meet in? This didn't just happen. It didn't just drop out of the sky one day. It happened because the people of God of this church had a vision for a growing church in a community that desperately needed Jesus. And furthermore, they, they sacrificially gave toward that vision. They owned that vision. I am so thankful for the generation of believers who came before us who built this place. Every church that you see on every street corner was built by the faithful and the sacrificial giving of the people who attend that church. There are no government grants or loans that are given to churches to build and construct churches. There's no assistance whatsoever. But in addition to this building, there are likewise daily expenses required to operate this church. We have a monthly mortgage payment for the second half of our building. This building was paid for, and then money was borrowed to build from those steel doors going back to the gymnasium. We still have a mortgage on that part of the building, which we have been rapidly paying down. But, but we, we have a mortgage, and we have power bills, and we have payroll, and we have insurance. Uh, liability insurance is insane, what it costs this church to operate. And, um, and just to let you know, uh, wasn't, but two summers ago, we had a $7,000 power bill in one month at this church. Staggering. That's a lot of money. $7,000 just to keep you cool and to keep you warm, which I wouldn't have any other way, but just to kind of help you put things in, into perspective. So just like your daily expenses to live, the church has them also. They're just 30 times bigger than what yours are. And in addition to that, 
As a church, we have a vision for what God wants us to do in this community. We want to be able to bless more people in this community through outreach and different things. And, and, and we can only do that with money. It, it costs us for everything that we do. So this church lives by faith. We live by faith every day that, that God will provide for our needs. And because he owns everything anyway, just like he provides for your needs, he provides for our needs as well. But here's the deal. He provides for this church's needs through the faithful giving of his people. And that's you and me. That's how this place exists. That is how this place operates. And it's funny to me how that a lot of people have, don't think twice about a monthly payment or membership due or fee or an installment for all kinds of different things and events and hobbies. But the thought of, of giving something to their church either never crosses their mind or Sometimes people get offended by me even talking about this. And, and honestly, I, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. Giving is at the very heart of Christianity. And as we mature in our faith collectively, and all of us begin to believe God's promises and fully give to the Lord, the church is allowed to accomplish even greater things. Bottom line is this. If every one of us began to live this truth out, in our lives, if every one of us began to trust God through paying the tithe, there would be absolutely nothing that we couldn't accomplish. Our mortgage could be paid off very quickly. The money that we paid to the bank could instead be put back in to go towards greater, more effective ministry to this community. We could support more missionaries around the world who operate on a shoestring budget. And we could uh, even bless some of the struggling churches within our community. That's in our, on our, just to let you know, that is on your pastor's heart and the heart of our board. We want to not just bless the community, but we want to bless the smaller churches who are greatly struggling. I know these pastors. I meet with them. They struggle. They have a hard time making ends meet. And, and if, if everybody in one church were to give in this way, we could probably support all the churches in this community just off of this one church if everybody followed God's plan. It's an amazing thing. And I, and I hope and my prayer is that you will pray about this, that you won't just let this message go over your head or you'll walk out of here and say, phew, God, buy that one. Now I don't have to listen to it again until next January. But you will actually let this resonate in your heart and decide what it is that you're prepared to do as a follower of Christ. You know, one of the most powerful examples of giving in the scriptures is found in Mark chapter 12. And this is when Jesus had sat down near the collection box in the temple and he was observing people coming in and dropping their offerings. Some of the more affluent came in and they dropped large sums of money. But then came this poor widow and she dropped in two of the smallest coins, the value, most least valued coins that there were. And Jesus said this in Mark 12, 43 through 44. He said, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all she had, her whole livelihood. So the question is, why is this woman giving her money away? She has nothing. There was no social security system in that culture to support her. On top of that, she has no husband. She is a widow. She lives in a culture that is a male-driven culture. Women didn't even work. These coins are what she had to live on. 
She was poor. She was in need, and yet she gave it away freely. Why is that? Well, I believe it was out of her gratitude to God. This widow was grateful to God for all that he had done for her in her life. In, that in, in, in fact, in spite of, of, of terrible circumstances, God was truly providing for her needs. And she fully trusted God to continue to provide for her needs. And this act of giving was, her, was a manifestation of her gratitude. These coins that she gave, she believed, belonged to God. And honestly, before you can become a giver, and I'm talking about being a giver in the truest sense of the word, you have to develop a grateful heart. A heart that realizes that every good and perfect gift comes down from our Heavenly Father above. So if you have a job, and it may not be the job that you want for the rest of your life, but still be thankful for that job because it is a gift from God. And be the best at it that you possibly can be. If you receive a check through Social Security or some other government agency or through some kind of a pension fund, then be thankful for that. It is a gift from God. It may not be all that you want, but it meets your needs. And imagine living life without it. You see, developing a truly generous heart starts by being grateful with what you do have, just like that woman who gave the coins in the temple. Because without a grateful heart, folks, you can't give with the right kind of an attitude. And what I mean by that is if you can't give out of gratitude for what God has given you, you might as well not give. Because I believe when we give, it is the attitude in our giving that plays a big part in receiving those supernatural blessings that we've been talking about. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion. You don't do it because I'm talking about it today and you feel guilty. You take it to the Lord in prayer and you decide that it's what you want to do. It's the right thing to do. And you give with joy in your heart because then the next thing it says is, for God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, I believe you are blessed whenever you give, period. There's a blessing that is attached to giving. But when you give with a grateful heart, when you give with a joyful heart, that's when those supernatural crazy blessings that I've been talking about start to occur in your life. Those unexplainable things that happen in your finances that just don't make sense. The hot water heater that lasts 10 years longer than it should. The car that's been hanging on for a thread for two and a half years that you thought was gonna die, God keeps that thing running. When on paper, there's just not enough money to pay all your bills and pay the tithe. And yet, the tithe gets paid, the bills get paid, it's supernatural. And there are hundreds of people People in this body of believers who have experienced just that. And this all begins by knowing that God blesses each and every one of us so that we can in turn bless others and so that we can provide for the work of the local church so that ministry, God's ministry, can be accomplished here on this earth. We are blessed to be a blessing, ladies and gentlemen. So this morning, I want to encourage you to become a faithful giver. And to do as Malachi says, and that is to test God, just as he asked us to do in this scripture. Most people will never experience God's blessing in this way because they can't bring themselves to the point of giving, and therefore, it disqualifies them from, for testing God. It takes a step of faith to start. It's a big step. 
But once you get past that threshold, you will find that God honors his promises. And you will begin to see firsthand the supernatural part of this equation occurring in your own financial life. It will go from being something that you once feared doing to something that you love to do. And it becomes a huge blessing. And it becomes a confirmation of God's faithfulness to you. Listen, what I'm sharing with you today isn't something that I have conjured up. It's something that I have lived and I have experienced in my own personal life and my family. And like Malachi, please understand something. I derive no personal gain from your giving. I'm not on a bonus system. None of that works. This church pays me a salary like he does all the pastoral staff to be on staff at this church. I get nothing from your giving. I don't even see your giving or touch it. It's handled by other people, and that's exactly the way that I want it. So understand, I don't urge you to do this to bless me. I urge you to do this so that you will be blessed because there is a blessing that comes with giving. You know, I have found the more that I give, the more God blesses me. And the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, you cannot outgive God. You can try, but you can't. You can't outrun his blessings. And how I wish that more people would experience this. How I wish God's people would trust him to the point of this most vital area of their life with that they are willing to give some of their hard-earned money and increase to God's work. Because it will, and it does, have the ability to turn your financial life around. You will start to see that you will be blessed and you will have a greater income and God will continue to bless you. And as he blesses, you continue to give. And he blesses and you continue to give. And it's a cycle that just continues on throughout your lifetime. This has the ability to revolutionize not just your life, but your financial life as well. And let me just add a few tips that might help you this morning. When you give... Give willingly. You shouldn't give because, or I should say, you should give because you want to give. Giving is a voluntary thing. It's between you and God. Don't give because you feel pressured to give. Instead, give because you want to. And I guarantee you, if you will make this a matter of prayer in your life, you will want to. And consider it a privilege to be a part of something, of meeting God's needs, something greater than yourself. And what we do here at this church has eternal implications. And when you give to this church, you play a part in people's salvation and people growing in Christ and people going to eternity in heaven when they die. That's what this church exists for. And when you give, you are a part of that. Secondly, when you give, give quietly. Don't boast about what you're giving. That's between you and God. Give in secret as not to receive accolades from mankind, but to receive unending blessings from the Lord. So whenever you give, whether you're excited that you gave so much or you were disappointed that you couldn't give more, you keep that between you and the Lord. And thirdly, when you give, give generously. The tithe belongs to God. I don't think any of us would dispute that fact, but once you start tithing and you begin to exercise your faith, You can get to the point where you not only give the tithe, but you give offering and you give alms as well. I know people that are are living on half of their income. They give half of their income away. That's just how they've, they've, they've done their life. That, by the way, is my goal. My goal is to get there. We are incrementally getting up there higher all the time. I want to be able, when I retire, God willing and and God tarry, that I could live off a half of my income, whatever that may be at the time of retirement, and that I can give the other half to the, the work of God. So give generously. You can't outgive God. 
I have found this to be lived out in my life, and it's an important aspect of your Christian walk. Liz, can you come forward and help me to close this down? I want to read something to you from 2 Corinthians 8, 7. This is the Apostle Paul here. He says, but just as you excel in everything, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see to it that you excel in this grace of giving. Paul calls this ability and this willingness to give a grace. He calls it the grace of giving. And I don't know about you, but my desire is to excel in this grace of giving because one thing, because once we learn to be free in our expression of, of thankfulness and gratitude to God through our giving, then I believe God understands that we finally got it. We finally understand. He knows he has our heart. He knows at that point we truly trust him for everything. And so I challenge you today, if you've never been able to bring yourself to the point of giving, that you ask God to create that kind of a trust inside of you towards him. And as he does that, begin to give openly and without fear and without reservation and begin to practice giving generously. And you'll start to see the incredible results of what that will do to your life. It will literally begin to show you freedom in Christ like you've never experienced before. That is my annual message on stewardship and giving. You happen to come on a Sunday. I do this once a year. We always do it every January. And the reason I do it every January is because it's important to your Christian walk. And it's important to your church home. This topic is too important to overlook, to never teach on. And I know a lot of pastors who won't touch this. They don't talk about giving. And you know what? They're doing you a disservice by not doing that because this is a part of your life that will, will change you. This is a part of your life which will help you grow in your faith in other ways that you know nothing of until you participate in it. And it's important that we teach you the truth from God's word because God has a plan. God has a standard for everything. And when we follow God's standard, that's when we receive his great blessing. And I don't know about you, but I want those in my life. We've learned these principles. We need to decide to live by them. We need to not just take what is spoken today, but we need to absorb it, and we need to pray about it and say, God, show me how you want me to respond. I don't ever like to end a service without presenting you with a challenge, and today is absolutely no different. I want to present you with three challenges this morning as you think about giving. When you leave here today, there's a table going to be out front with envelopes. I want each one of you, every family and every single individual to take one of those envelopes with you. And I'll explain to you what that's all about in a minute. But first of all, if you are a person here today who has considered becoming a tithe pay payer, giving a tenth of your increase to the work of the Lord, but for whatever reason, you haven't been able to take that initial step of faith. We as a church want to help you in making that step of faith. I'd like to present with, to you something that we've been doing for the last seven years here at High Point Assembly called the 90-Day Tithe Challenge. Here's how it works. If you would be willing to start paying your tithe for a 90-day period, you can start whatever month you want for, for a total of three months or 90 days. At the end of that 90-day time, if for any reason... God has not made good on his promise to you to provide for your needs while at the same time you providing for the work of the Lord. Upon your notification, 
this church will write a check back to you for everything that you paid during that 90-day period of time. Absolutely no questions asked. If, however, after that 90 days, you realize that God's word is true, that you were able to pay your tithe and all of your needs were met at the same time, then I would say, welcome to the tithe-paying family at High Point Assembly. In essence, we are offering to help you test God to see if what he says he will do, he will do. Believe me, this isn't a slick gimmick. This isn't something that I'm trying to be cute. This is something to help you to take that much needed step of faith that I'm telling you about today in your Christian journey because this step, as I said, has the ability to dramatically change your life. My second challenge this morning is to those of you who have already stepped out in faith and tithing is a part of what you already do. You've already begun to experience those supernatural blessings that I've been talking about. I want to present you an opportunity to become a part of something called Kingdom Builders. Last year, High Point Assembly had 46 families or individuals who were Kingdom Builders. What is a Kingdom Builder? A Kingdom Builder is a person who loves to give. They believe that they exist to support the work of the Lord through their local church. They derive a great deal of excitement in knowing that what they give has an intended purpose and they love to see those purposes fulfilled. A kingdom builder commits to giving an additional $100 a month or $1,200 a year above their tithe to help your church with debt reduction, needed renovations, maintenance, and upgrades to our church facility. These extra funds are earmarked specifically for items outside of our normal operating budget, and they are utilized at the discretion of your church board. It's a perennial program that we have continued year after year, and my hope is that those of you who are Kingdom Builders last year will continue to be Kingdom Builders this year. But we'd like to see more people participate. Kingdom Builders has become like an annuity for your church where we can take a, a bite out of our mortgage debt at the same time have a campus that is second to none. And this being a 30-plus-year-old building, trust me when I tell you, every day something breaks, something goes wrong. We're having to replace a lot of things. It's just that time where it's happening. It's all falling on my watch, but thank God you people are faithful givers, and we've been able to do everything that we've needed to do. And since implementing Kingdom Builders, we've accomplished so much. I don't have time to go down the list, but it's just been fascinating what God has done over the last seven years to our facility and how we've upgraded it through your faithful giving. And I want to say a big thank you to our Kingdom Builders because you've allowed us to do things that we could only dream of doing before. You know, as I've been praying about this, I'm believing that God will give us 60 families or individuals who will want to be Kingdom Builders in 21. And I'm excited to see what your generosity will accomplish. And, and I just want to say something to you. I think it's very important for me to let you know that I never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. And I hope this doesn't go against my rule when I said give quietly. But I, I want you to know that Lisa and I have been kingdom builders ever since we've been here. And we will be ever since until I'm no longer your pastor. Uh, that's just what we do. So I'm not asking you to participate in something that we ourselves don't participate in. We also have a third way for you to respond with your generosity, and I hope all of you will be able to participate in this in some way. It's actually a continuation of last year's special initiative, and it has to do with our, our parking lot. Our parking lot is in need of some major repair work as, rela as well as resurfacing and repainting the stripes and the lines and whatever. That's actually the, the minimal that needs to be done. There's much greater stuff that needs to be done. But we presented this need to you last January, 
And many of you pledged to give money towards this initiative. But then COVID happened. And as a church board, we were uncertain of what the financial picture of our church might look like during this pandemic. So we decided not to do the parking lot. And I believe that that was wise. I was in complete agreement with the board at that time. So we are going to again make this our project for 2021. And we're praying that all of you will choose to participate in some way. And in a moment, I'll I'll tell you how you can participate. But if you are a kingdom builder, understand your kingdom builder contribution will go towards this unless you want to give in addition. That is strictly up to you. But I'm asking all of you to prayerfully consider one of these three things that you can participate in. So again, as I said, when you leave here, there'll be an envelope out on the table. Please take one with you. I'd like you to take it home. I'd like you to pray about it, talk to your family, and then come back. If The first card is the 90-day tithe challenge, and I think they'll put it up on the screen for you. On the back of that, you can, you can put your name and address and sign it. But if you've never been a tithe member, tithe payer, and you're interested in starting, I'm asking you that you fill out this card and you submit it to us so we know you're taking a part of this challenge. And again, as I explained, after the 90 days, we will either give you your money back or you'll become a member of a tithe, you'll become a tithe paying member of our church. But simply fill out that card like the one that's behind me and we're asking that you bring these cards back with you on, in two Sundays on January the 31st. And this way we will know who's accepting the challenge. The second card is for kingdom builders. If it is your desire to be a kingdom builder, to help out in this area of debt reduction and renovations and repairs, then I want you to pray about this, talk to your family about it, sign the card, bring it back with you uh, the last Sunday of the month. And I'd also like to mention if you are already a kingdom builder here at this church and it is your desire to continue in 21, I'm asking you to please still fill out a new card so we know that that is your intention. We'd greatly appreciate that. And the third card, of course, is for the special initiative for our parking lot. I told you I'd give you an idea how you might participate in that. We have 241 parking spaces in our parking lot. And so we thought a good way to maybe participate would be to sponsor an actual parking spot. I'm not talking about that's your parking spot. That's the David Bly spot. Nobody can park there. I'm just saying you sponsor a spot and you say, hey, I sponsored a parking spot here at our church. Last year, with the estimate that we had received on our parking lot, we figured if we had $167 per parking spot, it would take care of the problem. Well, we got two more estimates after that, and we found out our parking lot's in a lot worse shape than the first guy told us. We not only need to repair, but we need to actually replace sections of asphalt in our parking lot in order for it to be done right. So the the estimate has gone up quite a bit higher than what we were originally told. So here's the deal. If you were willing to give $167 for a parking spot, it would go a long way to covering the resurfacing and the painting part. The asphalt replacement part is something else and it's gonna be a much bigger bill than that. But I think you see we have a great need and I'm hoping that you will consider giving something to this initiative. When you sign that card, you don't have to bring your commitment with you. What you're saying is that sometime during 2021, you'll make good on that commitment to help us with the cost of replacing the parking lot. That was a lot of wind, man. I'm flying. I'm trying to be respectful of your time here. I'd like to ask you all to stand to your feet if you would. I want to thank you for your attention today. If you are visiting here for the first time or maybe joining us online for the first time, this probably isn't what you expected. You just, as I said, happened to join us on a day where the one day of a year where I talk about stewardship. And I realized that maybe today wasn't the message you were expecting, but yet, as I said also, it's an important message to the body of Christ. Because this grace of giving, as Paul calls it, 
is a necessity within the body. It's difficult to do ministry without the needed resources, and that's where we all played a part. So I want to thank you this morning for your attention. And as I said, rather than just walking out of here and forgetting what I said, I want you to take an envelope, and I want you to be prayerful about this. Please take some time to talk to the Lord and say, how would you want me to participate? And I think he'll make it clear to you, but then have the faith and the trust in him to follow through and let him prove himself to you. Test him like the word of God says. I'm gonna pray, and when we pray, I want you to ask God to show you how you might participate. And furthermore, pray that he will give you the kind of trust that you need in him that's gonna be required for you to take that step of faith. Let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Father, I thank you for your word. As always, there's always something in your word that pertains to us today. The truth from Malachi's day is just as relevant as it is today, if not more so. And Lord, I I just thank you for this church. I I thank you that they are such a generous church. I thank you that even through this um, pandemic, they have been so faithful in their giving. We are truly a blessed church. And I know that a great deal of the people of this church participate in many different ways financially. But Father, for those who don't, pray that you would challenge them this morning. And more importantly, I pray that you would develop within them the kind of faith that would allow them to trust you in this most important area of their walk with you and this most important area of funding the church that they belong to. God, I, I just ask that generosity would become a part of who we are, that we would not ever give reluctantly, but that we would give joyfully and know that what we give has eternal implications that what we give is about life and death. It is about eternity with Christ or eternity in hell. That's what this church is about. And God, I pray that you'll help this church to fulfill its its ministry, fulfill its vision that you have given us. And Father, that we would have the resources to be able to do it effectively. So Father, I ask that every one of us would decide what we can do to be a part of the giving area of this church and accomplish the things you've called us to do. And Lord, I know that this wasn't a message about salvation and there may be people here in this building or watching online who have yet to come into a relationship with you. So I pray that even during this prayer time, Lord, they may have the courage to pray a prayer of confession and belief, belief that Jesus is the son of God and that he came to this earth and he died on the cross and the blood that he shed atones or covers or wipe away our sin. And that they would ask you for forgiveness for their sin and that you would cleanse them of all unrighteousness and they would start down a new path of being a believer of Christ. And furthermore, that this church could come alongside them and encourage them in their Christian walk. So Father, I pray that they would have the courage to pray a simple prayer, to ask you to be the Lord and Savior of their life and that you would transform them the way that you have so many of us in this place. And so God, as we go our separate ways today, I ask that your Holy Spirit would go with us, guiding and directing us in the things that we do, the places that we go, the conversations that we have, that those conversations, Lord, would be ones that lift up and build up and not tear down. I ask that we would be bright lights in a very dark world and unashamed to share your goodness with others. In fact, Lord, that people would see your love in us in such a way that they'd inquire what is different about you and open that door for us to share your goodness with them. God, I believe the time is short. There's so many lost people out there, and I pray that you would show each and every one of us the part that we play in that as well, in leading others to the cross. So use us this week, Lord. I also ask that you keep us safe from COVID, 
from any other sicknesses or diseases or illnesses that might come our way and that you would protect us from any accidents or injuries that might befall us until we gather together next week and come and worship you in spirit and in truth. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here today. Thank you for this wonderful truth that I've had the privilege of sharing with, your church, with my church family. And God, I pray that you will use it for its intended use. Speak to us deep into our hearts and show us how we can participate. And I ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here. Forgive me for not greeting you in the foyer. I have to split. So God bless you. Keep me in prayers. I don't want to fall asleep at the wheel somewhere down in Southern California. So.